Becker's Hospital Review is committed to delivering our audience safe access to vital educational opportunities. With this in mind, our 11th annual meeting will be in virtual format for the first time. Whether in the home or workplace, attendees will have access to sessions where industry leaders will be discussing the most pressing issues in healthcare, including the rise of virtual care, addressing clinician burnout, and delivering on-price transparency. To learn more, click on the conference tab at beckershospitalreview.com. This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Ruth Kristopolsky. Ruth is the Chief of Population Health at Atrium Health. Atrium Health is one of the great systems in the country. She's going to talk today about how population health is changing in the context of COVID-19 and a little bit more. Ruth, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Yes. Good afternoon, Scott. I'm Marissa Sapolsky, Senior Vice President of Population Health for Atrium Health, and have the distinct pleasure of leading value-based care and the implementation of people, process, and technology to support improving health for the, the folks that are in our region and live in our community. So thanks for having me today. Well, thank you very much. And population health is something that's been talked about for so long, and none of us really seem to understand it until COVID-19. Now we seem to get it more clearly with, in, a, in a variety of different ways. Talk a little bit about your career in population health, how it's changing and evolving, and some of your thoughts on it. Tell us how you, how you look at some of these things. Sure. So, Scott, I'm in the first year of my fourth decade in healthcare. So I've uh, been, been doing population health uh, for uh, the majority of that time. So really thinking about how do you use uh, financial levers to improve the way healthcare is delivered um, to set established populations of people. So um, have had the unique opportunity in the 90s to really look at things that we called care systems and and through some of the, you know, lock-in kind of HMO models and then you know, the pushback in the 2000s for more open models, and then really the advent of the electronic medical record, which began to provide data um, to uh, healthcare organizations around the, the people that they served in a more meaningful way, right? And so I think the last uh, decade and a half, we've really been able to harness the power of the information that we have um, about our patients and ways where we can more proactively intervene. And I'll give you an example of some of the work that we've done in Atrium um, since COVID began. Um, at the beginning of COVID, um, right about this time uh, last year, when we were first hearing about COVID, we started to think about which populations um, might be disadvantaged uh, from a from a from a health standpoint, uh, based on the impacts of COVID, and the good thing was we had a number of years of information, claims, EMR, um, scheduling data, and we were able to pull our high risk patients who had either had an appointment scheduled that they had to cancel or hadn't been seen in a while, and began to use telemedicine proactively to outreach to them in order to make sure they had what they needed when our communities began um, shutting down. And so 10 years ago, we wouldn't have had the capacity to do that because we didn't have the data, the infrastructure and the systems connected together to, to proactively identify and then do the reach out. So I think we've been building capacity, capability and competencies over the last 
you know, 10, 10 or 15 years in healthcare overall that really let us meet the moment when, when COVID hit. And Ruth, Atrium's this magnificent system. It's become a very large system spread across several different states. How does that geographic disparity or, or differences impact population health efforts? Because I know yeah. you've got a huge hub in North Carolina, then an increasing hub with Navisense in Georgia and other spots too. And how does that different being in different areas impact population health efforts, or does it less and less so today? Well, there's still a huge, there's a tremendous variation in how people access care, the 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 things that are available in their communities, and then you know what information you might have about them, right? So the the folks that live in rural Georgia access and engage care very, very differently than those that might in inner city Charlotte. And, and yet there are access challenges in both places. I think our goal really was to figure out ways to get to people where they were, right? So by using virtual technology to connect to people, we did mobile units. And so we put testing and other things in uh, mobile vehicles and took um, care to the community from a from a mobile standpoint. So I think the information that we used was the same. The tactics to actually engage individuals might have been different based on you know where they they live and work. How important this mobile effort reminds me of efforts. You know, when I was growing up, to have mobile libraries, mobile book vans, and stuff like that. But it seems that in terms of like vaccinations and other types of care. This is a, a, a method that is coming back into vogue and so important because we sort of understand that in some of these inner city communities, or some of these rural communities, Wi-Fi is not as good. They're not, they're not as acclimated to going to get online and setting appointments for things. And so even though telemedicine might be a good answer, you really have to get to the community wherever you are. And so how important are these mobile efforts that are really seem to be coming back into popularity and, and really serving a purpose. Yeah, I think our I think our responses to our patients need to be multimodal, right? Because everybody has comfort levels in different ways. People have access in different ways. You know, you think about the physician house call, right? That was how we started um, early on with clinicians and then moved to bringing people to places, right? And in some cases to hospital campuses. And now we're pushing care back to the community. So I do think this idea of embedding in the community, and that means different things in different places, um, is going to be really important. And I know we continue to look at mobile as an effort to connect where people have access challenges. On the oncology side, we actually have one of the only, and I think we have two now, only CT scanners that are mobile, and we're taking lung cancer screening um, into the rural areas where there just isn't access to those kind of services. So I think um, particularly when you have people that have transportation, broadband and other challenges looking for multimodal solutions to their access problems, right? And ways to engage and connect with them in meaningful ways is gonna be really important. Now I know that Atrium just sponsored or was part of leading mass vaccination events at NASCAR or one of the stadiums. How much are mass vaccination efforts 
part of our future. It's something we've not seen in our, you know, I'm in my first year, my fourth decade of working as well or something like that or very close. I love that way of saying it. I'm going to adopt that for now on. But how much is that going to become part of our, that was before our time when they had mass vaccination sites for polio and stuff like that, you know, even before people, you know, in our vintage. But how much is mass vaccination sites part of our future? Well, I'm hoping that it won't be like a permanent part of our future if we're able to get in front of the pandemic and then, you know, have routine kind of vaccination plans with, you know, vaccines that are easily distributed and regularly available. I think though the public-private partnerships and these interesting ways of groups of people working together to address healthcare issues is something that I hope we can keep as we, you know, we exit kind of COVID, right? Like thinking about how would you work with, you know, a large employer or sports team or the county health department in a in a sports team um, to engage the community in, you know, either a public health or a general health event where we're, you know, raising the needle needle for everyone. So. My hope is that as we, you know, exit COVID, that some of the things that we've learned, right, to think creatively and quickly, you know, to look for solutions across multiple environments, to work differently with, you know, people that we may not have historically partnered with before. Hopefully in healthcare, we'll be able to pull those threads forward and, and really build a, um, a, a framework for, you know, caring for all people. I, I do think the mass events right now are, are going to be necessary, um, you know, it, to get as many people that need to be vaccinated, vaccinated. We need a combination of, you know, health departments, these kinds of max, mass events, you know, healthcare entities, other community support uh, uh, folks coming forward. Um, we've got, I think, still a couple hundred million people in our country that need vaccines. So, um, I think we've got a few more mass events, Scott, in our in our in our short term. Um, but but, uh, but it's so calendar. important though for but it's so important for access reasons as well. So if not for the mass events and the clarity, you can go get your vaccine there. There are a lot of people yeah. that it would just be too hard for wouldn't do it. So it's really an admirable and and fantastic effort. What do you view as Ruth? What do you view as your top three priorities this year, 2021, from a population health perspective? When you look at your prism, what are the big three priorities for this year? Yeah, so, I mean, in North Carolina, as a specific particular focus, because we're so we're so uh, present in North Carolina, we're moving from, um, to Medicaid-managed care in July. And so um, Atrium and our Wake colleagues care for one in four Medicaid patients in the state. And so we've got a lot of work going around um, thinking about how do we ensure that we have a smooth transition for our Medicaid patients, as well as there's a, a AM, an advanced medical home model that they use that's very similar to the patient-centered medical home model. We need to make sure that we have the infrastructure and capabilities in order to ensure that we're doing that well. So that's a major, major focus. I think continuing to think about the things that we've pulled forward from a COVID standpoint, so whether it's our hospital at home program, what are the appropriate patient populations to care for in their homes versus bringing them into the hospital, ensuring that the hardwiring that we've done around virtual and and tele everything sticks, right? So how do we not lose the momentum 
um, that we've gotten um, through COVID with some of these things, quite frankly, Scott, that we've been talking about for a decade or more. Um, how do we make sure they stick in the way that we continue to care for patients? And then just continued um, care model transformation, right? Like how, what, what types of work teams do we need? How do we ensure that drivers of health that are outside of healthcare continue to be addressed, working with our community members? So, so that's what keeps me awake at night, really, is getting ready for Medicaid, not losing the momentum on really important innovations and, and thought, you know, thoughtful ways of caring for people that we've picked up in COVID. And then just this consistent um, care model transformation and, and thinking about ways to address all of the health needs of our patients. That's, that's what I think about most often. And Ruth, let me bother you on one more question, as long as I have you. You've been working for a few decades now and are still totally excited by what you do. And that's a magnificent thing to have in one's life. Give advice to someone who's on our, our, our producer with us, is in her first year of her first decade of working. Tell her how you stay excited about your career for, you know, 30, 40 years. Some advice there. Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, I love what I do. I mean, I think when you do what you love, um, that passion um, is there. And, and I, I get personal joy out of um, caring for people, right? And while I'm not a direct hands-on caregiver, I think a lot of the things that I do help support um, our clinicians um, and the people that are at the front lines, right? And so, um, I, you know, the, the idea that I can make the world a better place in healthcare for people keeps me excited. And, and I can tell you, I'm as excited now as I was, you know, in my first year and hope to be for the remainder of my career. We need people with passion um, in healthcare in order to, to meet the needs of the people that we're called to serve. Ruth, what a remarkable career. What a remarkable clarification of priorities and what you're doing. Just magnificent. Thank you for all you do. And thank you for joining the Becker's Healthcare Podcast today. Thanks for having me, Scott.